Hello and welcome back to season three of Mimazine On Air. I am Mimi Swaby, host and journalist, and this season is all about game changers. Each week I'll be interviewing a different individual who is pushing for and driving change in their field. For the final episode of season three, I'm joined by Lauren Arms. Lauren is a business coach who helps experts and coaches in the wellness industry to scale impact and profit faster. She's also the founder and CEO of well to do Global, a source of global news and resources for entrepreneurs and professionals in the wellness industry. Hello there. Hello, how are you, Lauren? I'm good, Mimi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'm very excited to speak to you today. Oh, I'm excited to speak to you too. For people who haven't come across you before, please could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yeah, for sure. So I am the founder and CEO of a business called well to do We essentially help people and businesses to either start a business in the wellness industry or kind of kickstart a career in wellness. So for the benefit of your listeners, like the wellness industry is now a global industry worth, you know, $4.5 trillion. And there is so much incredible opportunity in that space that for me as someone really passionate about wellness and about the industry, I always wanted to just really create a business that enabled others to, to see the opportunities and the trends that are kind of driving this industry forward. And so that's really what we do through multiple different platforms and also through my business coaching where I work one-on-one with experts within the wellness industry, again, to grow or scale their business. That sounds amazing. A big, a big task at hand as the wellness industry is huge. How would you define the wellness industry? Because it, to me, it seems to be ever expanding and incorporating new elements of wellness. How would you define it? Mm, it's such a good question because you're right. It's, it's almost overwhelming when you think like, what is wellness? And on an individual level, wellness is different for everybody. On an industry level, we kind of break it down into kind of its major, uh, almost subsectors. So you might talk about wellness from the perspective of like the spa or beauty or anti-aging industry, or you might talk about it from the perspective of the nutrition and fitness and kind of holistic living industry sectors, or you might talk about tourism and the tourism element of it. So like retreats and hotels and the way wellness is being integrated into travel more generally. And then within that, you can kind of even break it down even further. Like when you get really specific and you look at like fitness as an industry, there is a real insurgence of tech driven wellness and fitness products like wearable devices or a Peloton bike. We we would call that connected fitness or, you know, like digital fitness. So apps and digital platforms where you can engage with a personal trainer online within nutrition like there are supplements but there are also you know a whole host of kind of services that people can engage in to help them advance their personal nutrition so you know like it's a really nuanced and yeah like quite intricate industry that's made up of lots and lots and lots of subsectors and subcategories that kind of make up this huge beast that is wellness Amazing. It makes it quite an exciting prospect, I suppose, to work in it. So how did you get into wellness? I grew up in Australia and for anybody who's ever been to Australia. Yeah. 
thank you um I try and tone it down a little bit oh no I love um, it I love an Aussie accent <laughs> so yeah for anybody who's been to Australia you kind of think of Australia as like quite kind of healthy like fitness like you picture Australians like being outdoors being generally quite conscious of their well-being I mean it's true to an extent but I think for me growing up in Australia wellness was almost an inherent part of life it wasn't an established industry you didn't sort of talk about being interested in wellness and then when I moved to London eight years ago I realized that wellness here is almost like a community of people, a certain lifestyle where you choose to practice yoga or eat, you know, at healthy cafes or associate yourself with certain clothing brands like shopping at Lululemon or whatever it might be. And I recognize this almost culture of wellness being a lifestyle, a more visible and more conscious lifestyle choice. And I actually found that quite interesting. I found it quite exciting because when you live in a city like London, as you know, you can literally be, do, have anything you want any night of the week. You know, we have access to such a rich culture of experiences and people and communities. So I started to kind of put this label on myself as being somebody interested in wellness because I, I loved all of those things, but I'd never attached that label to myself. For example, I grew up with my dad growing organic vegetables, but as children, we didn't know that they were organic because it wasn't a thing. I found out later that they were organic when you move to London, you've got to like go to the right stores to buy organic food. You know what I mean? So you've got a little bit more of a label attached to you. And so I don't think it was until I moved to the UK that I started to really realize that I was interested in wellness as a lifestyle, as something that you could almost put a label on, as I've just described. That's super interesting because from a outsider's perspective, I think lots of people would presume Australia has a much more open wellness industry. So it's really interesting that you found it to be the other way around. I suppose an outdoor active lifestyle is the stereotypical Australian one. So to have it flipped around mm. is really interesting. Yeah. And you know, at the same time, Australia has held the global record for the most obese nation in the world. You know, like, that's not the postcard pin up Australian that we all think of and imagine. But actually, Australians typically can be very unhealthy very you know overconsumption of alcohol inactive and yet the representation if you've ever been to bondi beach is like yeah. beautiful six packs you know like bondi rescue running down the beach yeah exactly <laughs> so i guess that is not always the most correct stereotype but i do think it's much easier to be to live that lifestyle when you live somewhere where you are, you know, more likely to be drawn to outdoor activity or more likely to crave salads over starchy, heavy mm. foods like you do in a, in a colder climate. I mean, looking out the window right now, the last thing I want is a salad. <laughs> you want like a hot chocolate, right. having a movie night, everything cozy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It takes a little more effort. Exactly. One huge point of your concept is being that go-to expert. Please, could you describe the importance of that and what that really means? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for somebody who is listening, who perhaps wants to build an expert brand in the wellness industry, become an authority, you know, I would use examples like, 
you know, in the fitness world, we might think of Joe Wicks or Kayla Ritzinez or, you know, in the holistic space, we might think of, you know, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, people who we hold up as being an authority in that particular realm are individuals who have positioned themselves as the go-to person. So it's important, I suppose, because it frames you as an authority, an expert, somebody that when they think of the problem or, or solution that they desire, they immediately think of your name. In reality, it takes time to build that, that authority. Um, I often like talk about the fact me. that, exactly, like a trusted figure, somebody that is associated with that problem or that solution, who really understands what it's like to struggle with whatever it might be, whatever health challenge it might be. So being an active, like Joe Wicks said, right, well, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be prohibitive. It can be as simple as a 15 minute meal or a 30 minute hit training session that can be fun and energetic. The word authority comes from this root word author, right? And so to build authority, you have to be an author. And an author, as we know, is somebody who produces content, who shares their insights, who, who writes, who produces some type of content to help their audience understand conceptually the concepts that they are an expert in. And so with any of these go-to experts or authorities or trusted people within the wellness space, we see a whole host of associated content that they have produced that has really positioned themselves in that space of leadership. So would you say that content, really valuable, accurate content is the key to branding yourself as this go-to expert? Yeah, definitely. So creating content, but also consistently a high value content that really shows that you understand the problem that your audience is experiencing and that you also understand the solution that they desire or where they want to get to. For example, if you're an expert in helping you know new mums to recover from birth then it's understanding that new mums don't have a lot of time but they do need to strengthen their core muscles for example so really showing that you understand that problem through your content but also showing that you know how to get results for that type of person so showing that you understand that it can be easy that it can be in 10 or 15 minutes a day, eight possible to achieve the desired result of feeling fit and strong and healthy and energized as a new mom. And there are a myriad of examples that we could explore. But the point is that it's critical to showcase your expertise in a way that is consistently valuable to your audience so that they see and understand that you are able to help them. And that ultimately builds three key things. One is that your audience know you and they feel that they can relate to you. The second is that they like you. And so, you know, they feel like you're a likable character, somebody, somebody that they, you know, again, are attracted to and feel comfortable around. And thirdly, that they trust. So before you mentioned this idea of like a trusted advisor. Um, so an expert needs to build that trust with their audience so that if you know, like, and trust somebody, you're going to be more likely and more willing to buy from them. No, I think that's super, super important. Being able to differentiate yourself in this huge industry can be quite a hard. How would you suggest or advise people who either have their own brand or are really wanting to step up their public platform to do so in an industry which is sometimes being called saturated? I mean, firstly, do you agree with it being saturated or 
do you think it's just really key to differentiate yourself and carve out a space for yourself within it? Mm, it's such a good question. I guess to your point about saturation, I think it's easy to feel that the industry is saturated when, as an example, you want to be the next go-to nutritionist in the wellness industry. What typically happens is because that is your desire, you get really drawn into that space you get drawn into looking at what other nutritionists are doing you're constantly reading about nutrition the biggest culprit of feeling like the industry is saturated is instagram right because if you're interested in healthy living and nutrition and you go on instagram it feels like everybody else is in that space like everybody else is suddenly a nutritionist and the reason that that happens is simply because of the algorithm right like the echo chamber exactly so it's important to remember to step outside of that bubble and what i often ask my clients to think about is if you were to think about like your immediate family or extended family or friendship circle and ask yourself how many of those people just in your immediate circle would benefit from knowing and integrating what you know about whatever that expertise is, like let's say nutrition. Most people would say, you know, it's seven, eight or nine out of 10 of their immediate circle. A pretty high percentage of that circle would benefit, right? So it's then about saying, okay, well, there are 8 billion people in the world. Half of those people have access to the internet. When we think about the most prevalent health challenges, a huge proportion of them are lifestyle related, could be reversed quite simply with a change in lifestyle choices. And so you suddenly think, okay, well, on my Instagram, it feels like everybody knows this stuff, but the statistics say otherwise. The statistics say that eight out of 10 British people are completely inactive or suffer from lifestyle related illness. Um, And when we look at those statistics and go outside of the bubble, we realize, gosh, there's still a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of people who need to know the value of living well, being active, making better food choices, who suffer from stress, anxiety, would benefit from meditation or yoga or, you know, breath work or again, whatever it is that your area of expertise is or you'd like it to be. I kind of use that sort of thinking to help break down this fear that there's not enough space for me. So that was kind of one part of your question. And the other was how to stand out. Well, very simply to stand out, you need to know firstly who you want to actually serve. So who is your ideal client and what is what are their pain points? And it's not enough to say, you know, I help people feel well because that message is saturated. What you need to do is say that I help people who suffer from migraines to use healthy eating or breathwork tools to to overcome that challenge or as i said before i help busy mums who have just had a child to you know recover from giving birth really diving into a specific niche that allows you to really reach a specific group of people and allows you to really take up a position in the market where you become a really specific and 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 niche provider of a service rather than a generalist that could solve any problem Because the reality is, you know, like if we were talking about finding a nutritionist and you had a specific problem like a skin condition and you found somebody on the other side of the city who could solve that specific problem for you, you would join a wait list, you would pay a premium, you would travel to the other side of the city to go and see them 
rather than just going to see someone who works generally in nutrition and might be able to solve your problem. Does that make sense? So really niching is such a critical part of standing out from the crowd. Yes, completely. I think that's a really good analogy as well. Being like really intentional and focusing in on that tiny aspect that, again, you are the expert in. So 100%, that makes complete sense. Completely flipping that on its head. So social media, for example, Instagram, we're talking about can be a great platform to find your crowd, address them directly, be really intentional in producing high quality, amazing content. But how would you solve the problem of the algorithm at the moment or getting lost or making sure your message is actually getting heard and making an impact? Hmm. I think the bigger question isn't how can I use Instagram to build an audience? The more meaningful question is how can I really connect with people? How can I really understand where they are at and build a relationship with that community of people? What happens is in so many instances, you know, individuals or brands or businesses become reliant on one tool like Instagram. And then suddenly when the, when the algorithm changes, all the eggs are in one basket and we're scrambling to figure out how to overcome this, this algorithm challenge. There's a really interesting philosophy or concept that says if you're not paying for the service then you are the service right and I say that because when you think about Instagram it's been free for you know the last seven eight years since we started using it and we're all thinking great like this is such a good free tool and then all of a sudden it shifts because Instagram are like right we got you all hooked and now we're going to start charging you to get the results that you once got for free so we're upset about it because we can no longer get the same engagement but the reality is if you put all your eggs in one basket and you're only building your audience on Instagram, you are always going to run into trouble. So what I say to clients is, you know, really thinking about how you can use multiple channels to engage your audience, but also how you can build real relationships with that audience. You know, it's one thing to have a random unknown person, faceless person like or share your Instagram posts and it's another to get them on a on a Zoom call to be part of a workshop or to engage with them on on a call to find out more about the problem that they have or to have them in a Facebook group where you can get to know them and ask them questions and have them engage in community and conversation. I guess pre-COVID times, we would run an event every month where real people would get together in a real room and actually talk to each other and connect with each other. And many of those, now, hey? Yeah, I mean, many of those people became clients for me because they built that no like trust factor and which is so critical to effectively selling a service or a solution. So I think it's actually reframing that question and saying, oh, you know, Instagram's algorithm is kind of really screwing up my business right now. How can I fix it? And instead asking the question, how can I use a variety of different channels to engage my audience in real conversation and really deeply connect with them because the truth is conversion i.e sales happens in conversation with people i suppose it all goes back to human connection either that being face to face or just being more than like you said a faceless page or a faceless account who you can't really get that true relationship with yeah absolutely Touching on what you just said then about Instagram and us being the product, have you seen The Social Dilemma, the documentary? Do you know what, Mimi? I haven't seen it because I'm terrified of what I will find out if, if I watch it. 
<laughs> if you're scared, don't do it to yourself. It it's shocking. It is. I mean, we are the products. Our time is currency, which is terrifying in itself. Spending one millisecond longer on one post then opens you up to a whole host of other posts which are directly linked. It's it's crazy. Um, if you haven't mm. seen it and don't particularly want to, I would just you know, ignorance is bliss sometimes with those things. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think we all know how controlling social media is. And, you know, like I said, again, it's really important for me that my audience are also being captured on email so that, you know, I have a relationship with them there that, you know, I'm using multiple touch points, but that I'm also really connecting with them on a personal level as well. For me, I would say offline connection is a lot stronger than online. The majority of the time, would you say you would drive offline or email or face-to-face connection and relationships a lot more than relying on online presence? I think they go hand in hand, you know, talk about an integrated marketing strategy. I think that one doesn't necessarily work without the other, that we wouldn't have sold out events and conferences if we hadn't had a strong database of emails to market that event to. So, you know, it's using them in an integrated way that makes those tools work effectively. But I think that in the early days of building a business, what we often underestimate is how powerful it is to connect with a group of five people who suffer from the problem that you're trying to solve and getting to know them and building a relationship with them and finding out you know, what language they use to describe their experience or struggle. And that you might have 500 followers on Instagram, but if you've never met one of them or spoken to them, you haven't got a real connection there. For most service-based businesses, we don't even need 500 clients to be successful. For most, you know, expert businesses, if you had 15, 20 paying clients, you'd be, you'd have a, a, a decent business. You'd be pretty busy. And so we underestimate those numbers and forget that behind each of those numbers is a real person with, you know, a real series of challenges and, and problems and the real potential for us to help them. So as a tactical or or more tangible, practical response to that. Every time somebody follows you on Instagram or connects with you on Instagram or likes your content, actually getting into a direct conversation with them using DMs, like, hey, you know, like for me, I ask, what type of clients do you work with? You know, tell me a little bit more about what you do. And in that conversation, you build relationship and you get to know that person's pain points. You get to know their need state. You get to know how desperate they are to change their situation. You get to know, you know, what their life is like. And in that conversation comes a lot of learning, a lot of insight, and also a real possibility that you could help them by selling them a service. That's a really good point you just touched on there about the number of followers doesn't actually correlate to success. I think it's really easy for us to forget that, especially at the moment where a lot of our attention is online. You are often confronted with numbers and can feel maybe disheartened if you don't see them rising or you basically become too obsessive over numbers when sometimes, again, like you've said, it's that human connection. It's reaching out and creating a relationship with that individual who is more than a number. Yeah, absolutely. And ironically, you know, I have had clients who have literally hundreds of thousands or multiple hundreds of thousands of followers and do not have sustainable businesses because in the process of building an enormous viral audience, they have not actually had a clear 
product or service to sell haven't scaled a team or a business behind it and therefore are just famous for their content don't actually have a sustainable business model behind it and if that is your definition of success which if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening to this and wanting to build a successful expert brand I can tell you I have other clients who you know, have a few thousand followers on Instagram and run multiple six and seven figure businesses. So it is definitely not an indicator of success. But the first piece of that puzzle is actually getting clear on what success means for you. If it's being famous and having lots and lots of followers, then yeah, like start looking up how to create viral content. If your success markers are working three days a week remotely, being able to spend time with your family, being able to support people and solve real problems for people, then having 100,000 Instagram followers is not a prerequisite for that. You know, I think a lot of people will listen to that and go, you know, I think I'm going to have to reevaluate what I think success is. It's a, a question we forget to ask ourselves. Yeah, a really big one as well. A very important one. One thing I love about your values and ethos is celebrating others in the space and not just seeing them as competition. Could you tell me a little bit about the importance of this? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think that it's underpinned by a really important philosophy that I would invite your listeners to think about if they haven't um, or have never heard of these concepts before. And it is the difference between an abundant and a scarce mindset. So an abundant mindset suggests that you have a view of the world where there is not a fixed pie that everybody needs to share a slice of and that there's only a certain portion of that pie available to you. When that's a scarcity mindset, when you feel that you're limited by the number of clients or people that are available to you, that there is a limited amount of success that you can have or a limited amount of impact you can have or that you are in some way capped in terms of your potential. You know, I could never achieve that. I could never do that. I don't have enough time or resources or I don't know the right people or I'm not pretty enough or thin enough or whatever it is. And we all, we all have these limitations that we put on ourselves, but they are ultimately the basis of a scarcity mindset. The opposite of that, as I said, is an abundant mindset of possibility of, you know, I might not know the right people right now, but the right people exist and I'm going to do what I need to do to get to know those people. And so when you adopt an abundant mindset and in doing so, think about your competitors instead of thinking, okay, um, you know, I run a yoga studio and there are, you know, 100,000 people who are interested in yoga. And if I can just get 1% of them to come to my studio, that would be a great result. And I don't want them to go to any other studios. I only want them to come to my studio. That's quite limiting versus, okay, well, somebody might be interested in yoga, but just because you're interested in yoga doesn't mean you're only going to go to one yoga studio. Just like if you're interested in food, you don't just go to one restaurant. You might go to multiple restaurants. So adopting an abundant mindset as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, puts you in a position to see that your competitors are not a threat. They are actually contributing to the growth of the industry in which you operate. They are creating more opportunity for you that if you celebrate their success, 
it will only result in you having more success as well. Um, and again, if we bring it full circle and come back to talking about success, you know, success is not always winning all the business and beating your competitors and being the best and the one and the only person that people go to. Success is being part of a thriving industry where you support one another, where you, you know, lift up your competitors, where you collaborate, where you help each other rather than feeling threatened all the time. And so it, it's ultimately a mindset rather than a strategy. Yes, look at what your competitors are doing and learn from it. But there's no need to feel that their success is in any way going to take away from your success. I really love what you said then about the restaurant analogy and that more people coming to different restaurants, for example, is going to only increase and grow that industry. I think that's such a helpful tool to think about. Another thing awesome. you touched on was limitations. And this made me think of imposter syndrome. How would you even go about tackling imposter syndrome and trying to turn that into self-belief or self-confidence? I honestly think that confidence simply comes with competence, right? And we build competence through experience. It is normal to feel out of your depth when you first start something new. I think that we try to demonize imposter syndrome and say it's something that we need to get rid of when truly it's something normal and natural to embody when you are starting out or embarking on a new journey. So it's like when you were a child and you were crawling and then you tried walking and, you know, a, a child falls down over 10,000 times before they figure out how to walk. We don't give up, right? Like we don't think, oh, you know, I tried that walking thing and it didn't work out for me. You know, <laughs> I think I'll just stick with crawling. Like it's how humans progress through failure, through getting it wrong. And yet for some reason we get to a certain age or a certain point in our lives where we don't permit ourselves to be a beginner anymore. And when you don't allow yourself to be a beginner and to feel out of your depth and to feel new at something, which is just another way of saying imposter syndrome, you know, like I'm not good enough at this yet, or I'm not experienced enough at this yet, or there are other people who are better than me at this. It's normalizing that as a process of being a beginner, recognizing that every person that has ever achieved greatness in any area athlete, academic, politician, you know, leader, authority, expert, was always at some point a beginner. Mm. And we can accept that and celebrate it and say, okay, I'm new at this. And yes, there are people who are going to be better than me at this. There will always be somebody who is further down the line than you, more advanced than you, having been doing it for longer, whatever that might be we can enjoy the process a lot more rather than resisting it and feeling bad about it and finding fault in ourselves. The sooner that you can appreciate the journey of becoming, the less you will fear imposter syndrome or allow it to get in the way of you moving forward. I read a quote the other day that's saying, the making of you, the becoming of you is in the journey. I thought it was a really lovely way to look at it. It's that like you learn everything in the process it, it, the process is so crucial mm, yeah absolutely and you know one thing I often reminded myself at the start of my business journey was that it doesn't matter how fast you move as long as you don't stop right the only sure way that you can fail at anything is if you quit 
So I guarantee if you stop and you don't take action, you'll have failed. You won't have achieved your goal. But if you take even the tiniest little baby step each day, then that will compound and multiply and get you to where you want to go. And again, just reminding yourself that the expert at anything was once a beginner, right? And that might be where you are right now. And it's okay. It's okay to be a beginner. Give yourself that permission and don't constantly feel bad about it or feel fault in that. Because in two years, three years time, you'll be experienced. In five, 10 years time, you'll be an expert. And that is just the journey of life and progress. I think it's a really exciting prospect. It's a little bit like Michael Jordan. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but when he's saying that it takes him, I can't remember the figure, but so many shots, practicing these shots to get them in. It's like I had to take hundreds of shots to know that I was going to get it in in that one time that was crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And we gloss over that, don't we? I mean, they are not the the glorified headlines. Michael Jordan misses 7,000 shots. Like the glorified headline is Can you imagine? Michael Jordan nails the shot when it matters. They aren't the glorified stories that we read about. But if you look for them, they 100% exist in the story of every successful person. The failures, the setbacks the near misses, the close encounters with complete disaster. It's, you know, it's actually really important to find and read and understand those stories of becoming the failures, the real story behind overnight success. And there are countless podcasts and interviews and books that give that real raw behind the scenes that are so important to make time for. So true. Success is a lot sexier to write about than near failures and near misses. So it sells a lot better, I think. Yeah. And yet, you know, what resonates most with my clients is when I say things like, you know, there was one time when I went to get on the train to go into London and my debit card declined because I'd completely run out of money in my business. It was like six months in and like I didn't have any clients. Things were not going well for me. Had to call my mom in Australia and say, you know, like, can I borrow some money? And that is actually where my audience feel closer to me because they're like oh you know Lauren doesn't have it all figured out she's wasn't born successful she wasn't born an entrepreneur you know she has also failed and they might relate to an experience where they almost ran out of money or felt like they were gonna you know fail it's actually through sharing our failures that we feel more connected with the people that we admire I can 100% relate to that my (laughs) debit card is has not gone through in Asda quite a few times when I've been at the checkout with shopping and <laughs> shamefully scurry away. Right. All part of the journey. All part of the journey. That's what I keep telling myself. That's what I keep telling myself. I know you are a firm believer that everyone should be doing work they love and are on a mission to help make that happen. How do you get the ball rolling to get to that dream job? Again, I guess it starts with allowing yourself to be an explorer of possibilities. The fastest way to get anywhere in life is to model yourself on somebody else who has achieved that success that you desire. So one mistake that I made very early on was thinking that I had to figure it out all by myself. And that was my inner stubborn streak that got in the way of me allowing myself to get help and support from others, learning from others, taking on a coach or a mentor. I should have done that a lot sooner. And so my advice would be find somebody on whom to model yourself 
who has achieved the success that you desire to achieve in your life. And sometimes that means separating yourself in the reverse of that, separating yourself a little or distancing yourself from the people who do not believe that it is possible or are you know, not that way inclined or do not have a big vision for their life. I have a client at the moment who is going through a massive growth and transition phase in really stepping up and owning her expertise in business. And she was saying to me that some of her closest friends just keep reminding her of you know, why it's not going to work for her. And when I said to them, you know, what are, what are they doing with their lives? And, and the answer was, you know, staying in the jobs that they hate and not doing anything about it. So Brene Brown would say, unless that person is in the arena with you, do not listen to their advice. So the same is true in terms of kind of finding someone to model yourself on. Find somebody who has walked the path that you want to walk, who has achieved the success that you desire to achieve, who has overcome the challenges that you will face on your journey to becoming the version of yourself that you desire to be and listen to them, learn from them, model them, copy them. That is the fastest way to success. And if you don't know what that end goal is or looks like, or you aren't quite clear on the vision, get experimental and start that research process. Listen to podcasts, read books, you know, when you find yourself scrolling on Instagram and something triggers you or inspires you, or you think, gee, like imagine living that life. It's probably a strong indicator that there is something about that person that you desire. So rather than falling into the comparison trap, reframing that and saying, wow, like, thank you for showing me that that is possible for me. Thank you for showing me that you can live in Bali and work on a laptop and run a successful business and also have a family and drive X car, whatever, you know, like appreciating that these people are showing you what is possible for you and then taking the steps that they have taken to get there or finding out what those steps were. And with any luck, the Instagram algorithm will then keep showing you their posts so you can, you can literally follow them on their journey. Yeah, absolutely. And not being afraid to ask the question like, wow, how did you achieve what you've achieved? You know, can you share? Can you investigate further? Can you find out where they were? That's why I love interviewing successful entrepreneurs and saying like, okay, you are where you are now, but like, where were you 10 years ago when you first started out? What did your life look like? And for most of them, it was you know, where most people are when they start out, maybe in a job that they hated, maybe studying something that they didn't really enjoy, maybe working towards something that didn't fulfill them. And then it switched and they started on a different path. It's so inspiring that we have access to so many of those stories and journeys that we can replicate rather than trying to reinvent the wheel or try to figure it all out by yourself. I think that's really great advice. Be curious, ask questions and just really look for kind of mentor figures yeah absolutely starting to wrap up how do you feel about a quick fire round i feel excited about it you sound nervous (laughs) (laughs) okay this is quick fire with lauren online or offline offline meditation or yoga meditation podcast or paper podcast expert or hustler expert Three essentials for any brand to have. Uh, A clear target audience, Mm -hmm. a powerful brand story, and a strong mission. 
Love that. Working to live or living to work? Living. Uh, oh, twister. I'm losing my brain. <laughs> Working to live. Do you think quality or quantity when it comes to content? Uh, quality for sure. I thought I knew the answer to that one. And finally, one word that sums up wellness for you. Contentment. That's lovely. That's really lovely. And what is one piece of parting advice for anyone wanting to start or grow their own business in the wellness sphere or any sphere? The best piece of advice that I ever received, or actually I read it in a book, it's by an author called T. Harv Ecker. And he says, the number one reason that most people don't get what they want is that they don't know what they want. So very early on getting really clear on why you're starting your business, what you want from it in terms of impact, how it's going to shape your life, how it's going to enable you to achieve your goals and the success that you desire. Getting clear on all of that first so that that you can then get those things. Otherwise, you're kind of, you know, you're going in blind. It's like flying a plane without knowing what the instruments do or not knowing what the destination is. So really getting clear on what you want from your life and your business before you start building it. I think that is a great piece of advice to leave listeners on. Again, it comes back to what is success for you? Mm-hmm. Big question. Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and really, really insightful. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mimi. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I hope you have a lovely evening. You too. Pleasure. Speak Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. Is that the end of the recording or just the end of the conversation entirely? <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this final episode of season three. I put where you can find Lauren on social media in the show notes below. As always, please share, subscribe and review as it really does help spread the word the podcast. Bye.